You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're wrapping up the series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Teachable. We've been talking about this one quality that we all need to embrace uh, to grow in every area of our lives. I really believe this. I really believe if you become more teachable, uh, the sky is the limit for you. I really believe you can grow in any area of your life, especially spiritually. That's what we're after, right? We want to grow spiritually. And so let me just remind you of where we've been in this series, if you're joining us for the first time, or just to kind of refresh your memory. In week one, we talked about how in order to become teachable, we have to overcome self-righteousness. You can be right with yourself and end up being wrong with God. We want to make sure that we're right with God, that that's the key to growth. Week two, we talked about the the roadblocks to teachability that we all face, pride and fear and insecurity and pain and the pace of our lives. Last week, we talked about how to get wisdom so that we can make the right decision in any given situation. Come on, but the goal of teachability is to become a wise person. And so we focus on what we need to, to know, right? We have to know that wisdom is a path. You have to know God. You have to know yourself. Well, today, I want to end this series by talking about who you need to become. I want to talk to you about about your character. I want to talk to you about the characteristics of teachability because I have good news for you. Uh, You you can't change how much talent or intelligence or gifting you have, but here's the good news. You can develop your teachability. You can develop your teachability. You can't change how much talent you were born with, how much intelligence you were born with, or, or your gifting, but you can work hard at developing the characteristics of teachability. And if you can do that, the sky is the limit. I have seen uh, so many leaders who were teachable go so much further than others who, who were more talented but less teachable than them. In fact, one of the things that I love to, to, to read about and to listen to on podcasts is stories of, of entrepreneurs who built really great organizations. And, and it's just something that's fascinating to me. You know, as a, as a church planter, I'm kind of a spiritual entrepreneur. And so I love hearing those stories of how somebody built a really great organization, especially one that's making a difference, that's, that's changed the world. And I can tell you that one of the characteristics that great leaders who built great organizations have in common, they're almost all incredibly teachable. They weren't always the smartest. They weren't always the wisest. They weren't always the, the most talented, but they were always the most teachable. They were willing to get into something, into some field of business and learn everything they could about it. Let me remind you, in week one, we talked about the disciples, right? The very first followers of Jesus. He didn't call them because they were the most talented. He didn't call them because they were the cream of the crop. They were ordinary men, like fishermen, right? Regular guys. But he saw something in them. He saw that they were teachable. And they were just the kind of people that he could turn his ministry over, that he could entrust them with his church. And so we want to talk about character today. I want to encourage you, you can develop the characteristics of teachability. And so I want to give you four characteristics of teachability today. I want to invite you to take some notes today. We're going to finish out this series strong today. You can open up the Redemption app. There's a spot where you can take notes every week. I want to give you four characteristics, four things that we can embrace, four things that we can decide to embrace in our lives that will cause us to become more teachable. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready, Pastor. All right, here we go. Number one, the first thing is this, an insatiable desire to learn and grow. You want to become teachable, you need an insatiable desire to learn and grow. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 15 says this, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. 
The ears of the wise seek it out. The first characteristic you need is an insatiable desire to learn and grow. In other words, here's what this Proverbs is saying to us. You don't become teachable by accident. How many of you know that's true? You don't become teachable by accident. You become teachable by becoming intentional. That's how you become teachable. It's a decision. It's something you purpose in your heart to become. It's intentional. Now, in week one, we looked at uh, an equation, a formula that, that my friend and one of my mentors, Pastor Matt Keller, gave. And this is, this is what he said. He said, desire to learn multiplied by willingness to change equals your level of teachability. Somebody need to put that in your notes. Somebody needs to take a picture of that today. You want to know what your level of teachability is right now? Come on, we all want to grow. We all, we all want to become more teachable. If you want to know where you're at right now, how is your desire to learn? How strong is it? As well as your willingness to change. Multiply your desire to learn times your willingness to change. That equals your level of teachability in any area of your life. Now, some people have the desire to learn, but not a willingness to grow. Some people, not any of us in this room, but some people have a desire to learn, but not a willingness to grow. They recognize that they, they have more to learn. If you ask them, they would be humble and say, yeah, I have, I have more to learn. But they struggle to adapt what, what they've learned and to grow from it. Some people struggle to onboard new information and expand their horizons, expand their thinking, expand, expand their growth. Why do people struggle to grow even when they, they learn something new? Well, I don't have all the answers today, but let me give you at least two thoughts. The first answer I would give you as to why some people, even when they learn something new, fail to grow, I would say the first one would be mental discomfort. Mental discomfort. Some people can't overcome what psycho- psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Have you heard of this? Cognitive dissonance is the mental discomfort that you experience when new information clashes with something that you already believe. And we all experience this, don't we? You learn something new. You read something that kind of is a new perspective or maybe challenges something that you already believe, and it's a little bit of mental discomfort. You have to, you have to wrestle with it. Some people can't overcome that, that level of mental discomfort to, to onboard new information and, and to grow. And so what they do is they actually just rearrange the facts to agree with what they already believe. And if we're not careful, we can end up doing that. You know, it cracks me up quite often. Somebody will come up to you after service and say, Pastor, thank you so much for that message. And I'll be like, you know, let me just tell you, I love that part where you said, and then they tell me what they, what they heard me say, and I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say that. Like, what message were you listening to? <laughs> like, you may have heard that somewhere, but you didn't hear that from me. And I think what people do sometimes, they take the facts, right, the facts that challenge them, and because it's mentally, you know, it's a little bit mentally uncomfortable, they just rearrange them to make them agree with what they already believe, And what I want to say is it's okay to be challenged a little bit. It's okay to be stretched a little bit. Come on, church. This is a church for people who want to grow. How many of you know it's okay to be stretched a little bit? It's okay to have some new information. It's okay to read a Bible verse every now and then that challenges you. It's okay to to hear a message every now and then that challenges you you to grow. Here's the second reason I think people really struggle to grow even when they receive new information is the pain of change. The pain of change. Sometimes the pain of change is greater than the pain of remaining the same. And so people stay where they're at, even when they know they need to change. And until the the pain of remaining the same overcomes the pain of change, people will stay where they are, stifled and grow. There's there's two reasons. Now, then there's the opposite. There are those who have a willingness to grow, but they lack the desire to learn. We don't want to be that either. So for example, they, they don't intentionally seek out opportunities. In fact, because they don't live intentionally about growth, they miss out on opportunities to grow. For example, they might be in the presence of a really smart person, a really accomplished person, really knowledgeable person in their field, but instead of asking questions, they do all of the talking. 
What a wasted opportunity. I'm going to tell you, when I'm around somebody who's more knowledgeable about something than me, I'm asking questions. I'm trying to do the listening. If I'm around somebody who's wiser, somebody who's pastored longer than me, I want to ask good questions. I don't want to be the one who's doing all of, of the talking. Or maybe some people, they go through a life experience, which could really be a really good learning opportunity, but they don't examine it so they don't learn. They don't examine it so they don't don't learn. Let me help you today. This is going to really help somebody. We don't grow and learn just from experience. We grow from examined experience. Hello? Come on. We don't just grow from experience. I know we tend to think experience leads to wisdom. Oh, no, no. You can be old and foolish. Some people have many years under their belt. They've just been reliving the same year over and over again, and they haven't learned from it. Come on, somebody. (laughs) The goal is to actually be old and wise. Hello? Actually, even better than that, young people, be young and wise. Start learning from all the older people in your life. Learn from their mistakes. The more experienced people in here would say, yeah, let me take you under my wing. I'll speak some wisdom into you. There's nothing wrong with being young and wise. So we actually grow from examined experience. But some people, they lose intentionality. Even though they're willing to grow, they've lost the intentionality. But for you and me, we're followers of Jesus. We've been saying all throughout this series, like, we're not just Christians. We're not just spiritual people. We're not just churchgoers. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We're followers of Jesus, and we're committed to lifelong learning and growing. We're never going to arrive. We're on this journey for the rest of our lives. And so what we need is an insatiable desire to learn and to grow. That's the first characteristic that, that we need to help us get there. You know, when I think about this, somebody who modeled this for me so well, I think about Pastor Tommy Reed, the, the legend of a pastor that I sat under for six years before I came here to plant this church. I pastored along with Pastor Tommy at the Full Gospel Tabernacle in Buffalo, New York, and, and Pastor Tommy was there 50 years. Let that sink in. He was the pastor 50 years. He turned 80 while I was there as his associate pastor, and there's something I noticed pastor always do. When someone else was preaching or speaking, he was always taking notes. Now, here's a man who preached the gospel for 50 years. He'd heard it all. I don't think there's ever a sermon on a Bible verse that he'd never heard before. But even if it was a young person, if he was old enough to be their grandparent, he was always taking notes on the front row. Always bringing somebody new to staff meetings. Always meeting someone new that he could learn from. Always willing to learn from young people. In fact, even at 80 years old, he was always keeping up with technology. He had an iPad before I ever had an iPad. He had an iPhone before I ever had an iPhone. Now, I was broke back then. But he was up on his technology. He was, he was committed to lifelong learning, and that, that stuck with me. And so I have good news for you today, church. You can cultivate the desire to learn and grow. Maybe you're a little bit stale right now. Maybe you're a little bit uninspired. Maybe, you know, the, the flame of intentionality with growth and learning has gone on. Here's the good news. You can cultivate the desire to learn and grow. You can, you can stir it up. And so let me ask you this question today. What do you need What do you need to do? What can you do now? What can you today, this week, to feed your desire to learn? Maybe it's time to read a new book. Maybe it's time to have a new experience. Maybe it's time to seek out somebody who's wise, who's accomplished in your field, someone you can learn from and ask some good questions. Come on, characteristic number one, an insatiable desire to learn and to grow. Here's the second thing. We're talking about our character. Come on, we're talking about what we can actually develop, what we can actually practice to become a teachable person person. Number two is this, an appropriate view of success. Everybody say success. An appropriate view of success. Did you know that one of the greatest, one of the greatest threats to your teachability is actually success? Stop and think about that. One of your, your greatest potential threats to 
your teachability is actually success. How many of you have ever known someone who they, they became successful and it changed them, but not for the good? Like they forgot where they came from, like it got to their head. Anybody ever known somebody like that? You, you, you met somebody, like somebody you've known for years became successful and they kind of let it get to their head a little bit. And you want to say, hey, I remember you way back when. Come on now, right? I have a friend from high school that is a pretty successful real estate guy, and, and uh, he's always flashing his, his success on social media, his latest toy, his latest sports car, you know, his latest addition to his house. And, and don't get me wrong, there's, you know, there's some things worth celebrating, but you can tell this is his thing. Like, he wants everybody to know how successful he is. And I want to say, come on, dude, I remember you in high school, and you couldn't even get a date to the dance on Friday night, bro. Like, calm down a little bit. I remember you when. You know what I'm saying? Here's the point. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle success. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle success. For example, let's look at the Apostle Paul. Now, here's somebody who actually met Jesus, met Jesus in person. Here's somebody who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament of the Bible, kind of the bestseller of all time, guys. I'm just saying. Here's a man who is largely responsible for spreading the gospel to the non-Jewish world, which is like 99% of us. Like, talk about a guy who was successful. Talk about a guy who was a who's who. Talk about a guy who had an impressive resume. But it gets even better than that. Before the Apostle Paul was a super Christian, a super apostle, he was actually a superstar Jew. Come on, some guys get all the talent. It's not fair. He was a very accomplished Jewish leader. Just to remind you of his story quickly, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious teacher, and he was so passionate for the things of God that he thought this little sect of, of, of Jews called Christians were messing up Judaism. They were messing this whole thing up, and so he was hunting down these Jewish Christians and arresting them and throwing them in jail until one day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He got knocked off his horse. He got blinded, and Jesus said, come on, Paul, I have a mission for you. You've actually been on the wrong team here. You're coming on Team Jesus. I've got some work for you to do changed his life. And I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians about his success. If there was anybody who could have let success get to his head, I want you to notice the way that he handles his success. Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. He said, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. If there was anybody who could brag on their success, it's me. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Then he goes on in the next few verses to list all of his accomplishments and his pedigree. I was a circumcised member of the Jewish people from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, so zealous that I persecuted Christians before I became one. When it comes to the law, I kept it perfectly. If there was ever a model, good citizen, covenant-keeping Jew, I am that guy. And then here's what he says in verse 7, Philippians 3, 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. You see, Paul recognized that what had previously made him successful was actually an obstacle to him knowing Jesus, to him experiencing true success. Everything that he hung his hat on before, everything that he was proud of before, everything that stroked his ego before, those were all, all those worldly accomplishments, those were all the things that got in the way of him seeing Jesus. He recognized that one of the greatest enemies of his teachability could actually be the very thing that others would celebrate in his life. His, his success. Now, there's nothing wrong with success if we manage it well, if we manage it well. But along with success can come some threats to our teachability. Let me give you a few to think about, okay? We can be successful, and then we can, we can trust too much in our natural abilities and actually stop learning from others. 
How many of you know, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how talented you are, how skilled you are, we need other people to reach our full potential. You need other people in your life to reach your full potential. You're never going to be so talented that you don't need someone else in your life. You can become so successful that you can end up thinking you're something special, or even worse, you can start believing other people's opinions about you once you become successful. Because something interesting really happens once you become successful. The more people begin to praise you and say good things about you, the more you can end up actually believing it. <laughs> I'm not saying you've got to beat yourself up, but don't, don't believe your own hype too much. You know, people come up to me every now and then, and they see our church, and they see how it's growing in this beautiful space, and the difference we're making in the community, and, and sometimes people talk to me like, oh, you're this successful pastor, like, it must be amazing, and I'm thinking on the inside, no, 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 I haven't forgotten where I came from. I remember rolling up into Westchester with a pregnant wife and two kids, and nobody. I know if God hadn't showed up, I wouldn't be here. I'm always reminding myself of that. I don't want to believe my own hype too much, and you shouldn't believe yours either. Come on, somebody. Here's the other thing. We can get successful, and we can think that because we know something, we know it all. How many of you know there's a difference between knowing something and knowing it all? And so what happens is we can become so successful that it's hard for us to learn from other people that we view as less successful than us. Or we can find it really hard to learn from someone who's less experienced than us. And God may put that person in your life because you need their perspective. So what do we do? Because I know we're in a room full of, we got some successful people in here. Come on, this is the New York City metro area. So we got some really successful people in here. What do we do in this area of our lives? How do we handle this? Well, we have to do what the Apostle Paul did. We got to stay humble. Got to stay humble. Got to remember whose success is from and who it's for. Who it's from and who it's for. Remember that success is, is fragile, right? It doesn't last forever. Hold it lightly. Hold it gently. Share it with other people. How many of you know there are a lot of other people in your life that helped you get where you are? None of us are as self-made as we think we are. There's opportunities that people gave you. Maybe your parents gave you a huge head start. There's team members around you who make you shine. I'm so thankful for a staff at this church that makes me look good. Come on, let's give it up for our staff around here. A wife that makes me look good. A team that makes me look good. I don't know half of what's happening at this church. People come up to me and ask me what's going on. I'm like, I don't know. Ask Pastor Donya. I just preach here. I don't know. There's people that God put around you to make you a success. And so I find myself doing this quite often praying, quite often praying these words, God, everything I have is from you and everything you've given me is for you. That's a really good prayer. God, don't let me forget that everything I have in my life that people call success is from you. And I want to continue to give it back to you because it's for your glory. And so we're going to handle success well if we're going to be teachable people. Here's the third thing. Is this helping anybody this morning? We're talking about characteristics. We're talking about, come on, we don't have to be stuck today. We, we can actually work in our character. We can practice these things and become a teachable person. Here's number three. We need an openness to feedback. An openness to feedback. Oh, it got quiet in here. Nobody said amen to that one. <laughs> an openness to feedback. Okay, where's he going with this? Got really quiet, really, really fast. We just love feedback, don't we? Let me show you a few verses. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Come on, how many of you want your name listed among the wise people? You got to be somebody who heeds, who listens to, who a good receiver of life-giving correction. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13, it is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Oof, that one hurt. Better to be a wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. And then I love this one, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. 
Man, that one's powerful. One of my favorite verses. Better to have a friend in your life who loves you enough to give it to you straight. Tough love who will get in your face and say, what are you doing? I love you too much to watch you do that, to make that same mistake. Better to have a friend like that in your life. The wounds of a friend are more faithful than somebody who just kisses up to you and tells you what you want to hear. Especially somebody who you're their boss and they just, they just say whatever, you, whatever they think you want them to say. They're a yes man, a yes woman. No, 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 more faithful the wounds of a friend, of a friend somebody who speaks, who speaks truth into your life than the, than, the, than the kisses of an enemy. See, teachable people don't just tolerate feedback, they welcome it. They welcome it. They see feedback as, as their friend because feedback is one of those things that we all need to grow. Now, note of caution, some people's feedback will be dead wrong. <laughs> some people's feedback will be dead wrong and will be given in the wrong spirit. How many of you know some people just have negative vibes? Okay? Some people are going to get it wrong, and they're going to be dead wrong, so consider the source. Okay? I try to be open to all feedback, but I don't weigh it all equally. You don't have to weigh it all equally. You can consider the source. At the same time, be careful not to outright disqualify someone's feedback just because you don't like them or the way they gave it to you, because there may be an element of truth in what they have to say to you. Have any of you ever had a pizza delivery guy show up who was less than presentable? (laughs) <laughs> you ever had a pizza guy show up? You know, he had duct tape holding his car together. Maybe it had been a while since he shaved. He was a little bit less than, than, than presentable. Let me ask you this question. Did that stop you from taking the pizza? Didn't stop you from taking the pizza, did it? See, you didn't have to like how it was being delivered to know that he had something you needed. Are you with me? You didn't have to like the presentation. You didn't have to like how it was being delivered to recognize that he had something you needed and you wanted. Come on, be willing to receive feedback even when you don't like how it's being delivered because there may be a kernel of truth in it. There may be an element of truth in it even though you don't like the way it's packaged, even though you don't like the person who brought it to you, you may need to hear it. A few years ago, I sat down with a, a, a leader in our church who was upset with me. And I was trying to practice teachability. I had another leader there to be accountable. And I said, well, what do you think I could have done better? Come on, how many of you know, be ready for the answer if you ask a question like that. What do you think I could have done better? Man, they gave me an earful. I mean, they came ready with a list of things they thought I could have done better. If you ask a question like that, come on, you have to know, sometimes the person's going to have a list. They were ready to go. And they were listing And about five minutes later. I was like, are you done? You good now? <laughs> But as that person was giving me a piece of their mind, how many of you know it was really tempting for me to want to interrupt them? It was really tempting for me to want to defend myself or or set the record straight, but I had to keep reminding myself, listen to, understand, not to respond, because this person may have something that you need to hear. There may be an element of truth in in, in the midst of all. You may disagree with some of it. I might not like the packaging, but there, there may be something in here that I need to hear to grow as a leader and as a pastor. So church, here's what you have to know. The number one thing that will sabotage your ability to learn from feedback is defensiveness. Come on, everybody say defensiveness. See, we are, we're naturally defensive, aren't we? We're naturally defensive. Like how many of you just find it just, just so natural to receive feedback? Like, thank you so much for what you had to say about them. Thank you. Like, you didn't think I was a good leader. You didn't think I did a good job in the way I managed that problem. Well, tell me more. I would, love to, I would love to hear more about that. Is that it? Is that all? Like, I have five more minutes. We could do this over coffee if you want. How many of you find that natural? <laughs> None of us, right? We are naturally defensive. We have to overcome that. The leadership expert John Maxwell said this, be willing to accept feedback and criticism without defending yourself. Otherwise, you'll only receive it once. Come on, if we recognize there's a value in feedback, if we're defensive, we're going we're to ruin this. People won't come to us and give us feedback, especially if you're in a leadership position. 
You know, one of our leadership values here at Redemption that we teach our staff and we teach our, our team leaders and, and our life group leaders is actually teachability. And, and I love one of the points that we have that we actually teach here. And here's what it is. We expect feedback and we receive it without getting defensive. We actually teach this to our staff. We expect feedback. We don't just tolerate feedback. We expect feedback and we give it without being defensive. Why is that? Because we know that we need to have each other's backs. We know that we have blind spots. We know that we have different perspectives. We know that sometimes we miss things. We know that working with people is tricky sometimes. And we need to be able to give each other feedback and have a spirit of openness to receive it. I want you to know we are doing that here at this church staff. Some of you need to take a picture of that and bring that into your workplace like this week. This is what we actually do. And so what does it do? It opens up conversations around here. It opens up to where so the pastors can come talk to me, and I, and I can talk to them, and we can talk to our leaders. We expect feedback so that we can get better. Now, does it take some courage sometimes? Yes. Does it take some humility to, to hear it? Yes. But, man, we have grown so much from it. We're not, walking, we're not serving around here with a, ten, a bunch of tension between us and, and you know, unsaid things between us. Come on, you don't want to be in a culture like that. Nobody wants to be in an atmosphere like that. And so we've, we, we, we intentionally cultivate an atmosphere of, of feedback in, in our church because we want our church leadership to be healthy. Now, maybe feedback makes you really uncomfortable. And I know that some of you in this room, like to receive feedback and giving feedback, it really makes you uncomfortable. Can I just encourage you today? It's okay if it makes you uncomfortable. You just got to push past that and, and, and just start being okay with being uncomfortable. There's some things you got to do and, and be uncomfortable. Uh, you you got to notice that, that great things never came from comfort zones. Come on, great things never came from comfort zones. you got to get out of your comfort zone and be willing to be stretched every now and then. So if this area is really tricky for you today, let me just encourage you, push past your comfort zone and cultivate an openness to feedback and watch how it helps you grow as a human being. Amen, somebody? All right, here's the fourth thing. Here's the fourth one. We're talking about four characteristics that we can embrace. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this is a great place to start. Four characteristics that we can embrace, that we can cultivate in our lives to become teachable people. And the fourth one is this, an ability to handle failure well. An ability to handle failure well. See, if success can negatively affect our ability to be teachable, then failure certainly can as well. If there's anything that will affect you more than, than, than success or is equal to success, that would be failure. Failure can really, can really mess us up, can really knock us off course. But if we can learn to handle failure well, it can actually become one of the greatest catalysts for our learning. How many of you know that's true? Some of the greatest learning opportunities of my life didn't come in my successes. They came in the midst of, of my failure. So we need an ability to handle failure well. Now, I told you guys earlier that um, I, I love listening to stories of entrepreneurs, right, and people who built great companies. And, and I've talked about how one of the traits that many of these leaders that I've studied or, or listened to stories about them had was teachability. Well, can I tell you the other one that goes hand-in-hand hand with teachability is many great leaders who built great organizations, uh, great entrepreneurs shared the ability to to handle failure well. So many of them failed. You know, so many times we think somebody's an overnight success story. We have no idea that actually that person was years in the making. What appears to you to be an overnight success story was years in the making. A lot of failures. So many failures. I'm telling you, some of the greatest leaders of our time failed so many times before they ever achieved success. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have an iPhone or an iPad or an Apple Watch or a Mac? Let me see your hands. Come on. This isn't like a trick question. Okay. We all have these devices, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of us have Apple products. Well, guess what? Way back in 1983, 
before Steve Jobs ever created the iPod or the iPhone, he actually hedged his bets on a new computer called Lisa. Some of you may have heard of this because there's been documentaries and movies made about his life. If you've never heard of the Lisa, you're going to know why in just a minute. He invested $150 million to develop this computer. He put years of time and research. And when it all came out, it had an asking price of $10,000 in 1983. How many of you know that is a recipe for disaster? It crashed and burned, was a total failure. $150 million invested in this product. And most everybody thought that that Apple was completely done. In fact, there was rumors that they actually burned the remaining stock. The company was done. It was over. But Steve Jobs turned his failure into a great learning opportunity. He recognized there was an opportunity to learn here, and he never gave up. And now Apple is one of the most successful companies of our time. See, here's the thing. We're all going to experience failure at some level. We're all going to. Come on, there's one thing we all have in common here today. Let me just encourage you today. We're all going to experience failure. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to, how are you going to handle it? What are you going to do with it? See, failure can really shake our confidence, can it? If you've ever really experienced significant failure, I've been there before, it'll shake your confidence. It'll cause you to ask questions about everything. It'll cause you to, to doubt yourself. You can really get stuck sometimes after a failure, but failure also has a huge upside because it can be one of the best learning opportunities. It can wake you up. It can humble you. It can get you asking the right questions. It can get you examining your heart. It can get you examining the, the, the advice you're taking, the people around you. It can become one of the best learning opportunities. And so I want to leave you with three strategies for handling failure. These are from, from my friend, Pastor Matt Keller. Three strategies you can put in your notes quickly. Number one, for handling failure. Number one, Turn the spotlight on yourself. Come on, how do we handle failure? Turn the spotlight on yourself. Instead of pointing fingers at everyone else, let the spotlight land on you. Come on, how many of us, we all know somebody, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we all know someone who's always pointing the fingers at everyone else when they fail. Any of you ever worked for a supervisor or a manager who pointed the fingers at everybody else when there was failure? Did you enjoy working for that person? No, I didn't think so. Because no, we want to work for leaders who take responsibility and ownership, right? Who lead, lead the way and own the successes and, and, and the failures. Turn the spotlight on yourself. We all know that one person who's always telling stories and, 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 about life and things not working out. This job didn't work out. This relationship didn't work out. This opportunity didn't work out. And it's always someone else's fault. And as you hear these stories over and over again, you think to yourself, but there's always one person in the story. And I hate to tell you, you're the main character. Have you figured out who's always in the middle of it? We all have that one friend that we want to say that to him, right? Like, you're always pointing fingers at everybody else. You ought to do a little work on you. So turn the spotlight on yourself. Number two, strategies for handling failure. Number two, refuse to rush past a failure. Oh, that's so good. Refuse to rush past a failure. I'd say it this way. Never waste a good failure. Never waste a good failure. See, our natural impulse is to want to move away quickly from failure. Does anybody just really enjoy failure in here? Do you? No, we're going to sign you up for counseling if you raise your hand right now, Okay. <laughs> None of us enjoy failure, right? We, we want to move past it and, and, and forget about it. But something happens when we slow down and we take responsibility for it. We go from blame mode to learning mode. When we stop and pause and just take our time, why did I make that decision? What advice did I take? What did I miss? You know, what, what happened there? What was going on inside of me? That's where you begin to learn. Never waste a good failure. Remember we said before, we don't grow from experience. We grow from examined experience examined experience. And here's the third thing. Don't let failure define you. Don't let failure 
define you. Come on, you should own failure. You should acknowledge failure. You should learn from failure, but you don't have to let it define you. In fact, the book, the Bible is, is filled with people who God used in great ways that we might call failures. Have you read the Bible before? There's some messed up people in there. Come on, good news for you and me. God uses a lot of broken, messed up people. In fact, they're the only kind of people God can ever use. And the Bible is filled with people who we might call failures that God was able to use. For example, let me, let me ask you this question. When we think of the disciple who betrayed Jesus, who do we think of? We think of Judas, right? Yeah, it's not a trick question. We think of Judas, like total failure, right? Somebody who crashed and burned. But, you know, we often forget there was another disciple who betrayed Jesus. And what was his name? His name was Peter. That's right. You guys paid attention in, in Sunday school. Good job. Peter, yeah, Peter denied Jesus three times when Jesus was arrested, when he was being interrogated, when he was going through the sham of a trial by the religious leaders about to be condemned to death, to crucifixion. Peter, during Jesus' time of greatest need, denied Jesus three times, said, I don't even know him. Talk about betraying Jesus. Talk about crashing and burning. And he was so overwhelmed by shame and by the guilt of his failure that he actually quit the ministry and he went back to fishing. He was a fisherman. But Jesus didn't give up on Peter. Come on, Jesus didn't give up on Peter. In fact, in John chapter 21, Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection in one of his many appearances. And Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this is kind of a comical episode where Peter's so excited to see Jesus. He, he jumps off of the boat and he swims in to, to Jesus and, and they're reunited. And then Jesus cooks breakfast. Come on, what a man. Some of you, your husband, you can never get him to cook. But Jesus even cooks breakfast. John chapter 21, verse 15, look at what happens. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these, these other disciples? Do you love me more than anyone else? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then this story repeats. I'll, I'll spare you time here. Then this story repeats three times. The same exchange of phrases repeats three times. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Then, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to restate, to, to, to affirm his love for him. See, Jesus was saying to, to Peter, your failure isn't final. It doesn't have to define you. Come on, you might see yourself as a fisherman, but I still see you as a pastor. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. I still see what's on the inside of you. I still see the purpose over your life, and your failure is not final, Peter. I've got work for you to do. There's a ministry that you still have. Go and feed my sheep. You're not a fisherman. You're not going back to fishing. You're going back to pastoring. Come on, church. I believe if Jesus were here today, he'd look at your life and he'd say, your failure isn't final. Your failure isn't final. Your failure isn't final. I've got too much for you. There's purpose over your life. There's too much that I would have for you to do. Don't let failure hold you back. And I think sometimes we come in church on a Sunday. We're so weighed down some Sundays by the failures of the week. We come and beat up some Sundays, don't we? We smile and we get a coffee and we look like we're good, but we're very mindful of how we failed during the week. Maybe failed on the job. Maybe failed in marriage. Maybe failed as a parent. We all have our sins. We all have our temptations. We all have our, our downfalls. And I think sometimes we come in just kind of, we come in kind of beat up in church and we feel so defined by our failures. You know, I'll be honest, I've had some Sundays where I felt like that. 
but I'm so thankful that the scripture says his mercies are made new every morning. Come on, when you woke up today, there was a fresh distribution of his grace for you. He's got you covered. It starts all over again. When you wake up again tomorrow, thank you, Lord. Give me this day my daily bread and my daily distribution of your grace. His grace is sufficient for your life to cover every failure, to cover every sin, because there's too much on the inside of you. There's too much potential over your life. There's too much purpose over your life that we can't let failure stop us from becoming everything that he's calling us to be. And that's what this series has been about. Come on, today we're going to recommit our lives to Jesus. We're going to recommit ourselves to answer the calling to be his disciples, not just church people, not just a Christian, not just a spiritual person, but followers of Jesus, disciples, students. Come on, Jesus, to sit at your feet, to sit at your feet. For who else has the words of life? I love when Peter said that to Jesus. Where else would we go? Let me tell you something, church. Where else would you go? I tell my kids all the time, there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. There's nothing outside of the church. There's nothing outside of the gospel. Jesus, where else can we go for who else has the words of life? And so sign me back up to be a disciple. Sign me back up to be a student. Whatever you want to change in me, change it. Whatever you want to teach me, teach me. Whatever you want to show me, show me. Wherever you need to rebuke me, rebuke me, because I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I signed up to follow you, Jesus. Come on, why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray into this. We're going to pray into this. Come on, let's close out this series. Let's seal what the Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts for the last four weeks. Let's seal it right now in prayer and just recommit our hearts to him. Let's make that a prayer of commitment. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you call us to follow you despite our failures, despite our flaws. God, we weren't the most talented. We weren't the most successful, but you called us to follow you, and our answer is yes. And I commit my life to you today, Jesus, to follow you. Would you pray that with me? Jesus, I commit my life to follow you, to be your student, to be a learner, to be a disciple. Father, bless your people. Every person who prayed that prayer today, Father, every person who prayed that prayer, we want to be teachable. We want to be people of character. We thank you today. We choose to follow you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.